to the Grind 1.0 podcast, where we talk about the entrepreneurship journey. And just to give you a little bit of rundown on what we do, entrepreneurship is not easy. It's not all fabulous, what everybody likes to think. And I'm your host, Carl Dunn, and I got a really great guest on. Really appreciate him for coming on, taking out the time of his busy life and his busy schedule to come on. Um, my main man, Corey Warfield. How are you, man? Carl, I'm amazing. Life is I'm beautiful. doing good, man. You? I cannot complain. So, go ahead. Uh, here we, you're right, here we right? are grinding. Uh, so, so, give people a little <laughs> rundown um, about you. Um, I didn't want to kind of spoil the introduction. Uh, just kind of let them know what you do, and then we'll get into some of the conversation. We just want to give a laid-back uh, conversation about entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So I spent 20 years working in restaurants before I started my first company, Shedwell, and we're now growing and scaling that company. We're a B2B SaaS company in the workforce management space, uh, primarily with the hospitality industry as our target client at the moment. And uh, this journey of the last four years has really been a, a personal growth. Uh, it's really been one where I've taken my personal brand very seriously, uh, and I've taken helping others very seriously. So today I serve on uh, on 20 boards um, in, in both director and advisory positions, and I'm a founder institute mentor, so I help uh, you know people with their new concepts and bring them to life. And in addition to running my company and scaling and you know hiring and still wearing a couple hats there, I'm, I'm learning everything from SEO to digital marketing and, and social media influencer marketing and you know, just a whole, a whole host of things that continue to help me level up and, and I'm able to kind of help other people uh, bring them into the fold, as I say, and kind of send the elevator back down to help others. So I'm excited to be on the show. Wow, nice. That's so much, man. I mean, just layer and layer on top of layer. Let's start with kind of the question is like, what, what kind of some of the challenges that you face as far as being a mentor when helping other people? And do you see yourself and some of those people that you help, do you like, you know what I mean? Did you see some like, oh, I, there's, there's a Corey Warfield right there. I got are you a little bit more and are you faced with some challenges when doing that? You know, I, I think the biggest challenge for me specifically is that everybody thinks that they need money. And, you know, we bootstrap Shedwell, but, but I fell into the same kind of rut where I was out there trying aggressively to raise capital as well. And I think when you come on board to help somebody, the first thing that they're hoping is that you're going to write them a check, right? So right. not to say all of my entrepreneurs and not, say, not to say all of the companies that I'm involved with have done that. But I do know a lot of them, you know, kind of get to this place, whether or not they articulate it, where it's like, well, Corey, if you just give me $100,000, you know, we could get to market or, you know, if, like, you know, we're trying to raise money. Why don't you just, you know, lead this with, with the first 50K and, 
you know, it, it gets to the point where, you know, it's, sometimes it's not beneficial for people to raise money. And, and if I were to if I were to write a check to every company that I'm involved in right now, I'd be millions of dollars in debt. So, you know, it's just one of those things where if I'm involved in a number of companies and, and, and if I were to put some money into one of them, the other ones might really, you know, they might catch feelings. So, uh, you know, I think that is the big one is trying to convince people, A, that they don't really need to raise the money. I think people dilute themselves and they chase kind of that, you know, they chase the wrong dollars, in my opinion. They should be out chasing revenue, you know, rather than chasing uh, investment and trying to make wealthy people even richer. And I think that that's the problem that kind of plagued me and that I now see happening with a lot of my earlier companies. And I think the other thing uh, from a challenge perspective is just misinformation or, or, a, or a lack of understanding. I think people get into entrepreneurship thinking, like you said, things are, you know, everything's all good. So that it's going to come easily. But I think also people just don't do all their diligence. So a number of times the really early stage companies will come to me and, you know, maybe they have a pitch deck or not, but they don't have a financial forecast. They haven't done their business model canvas. And a lot of times, you know, they, they, they kind of expect that people are going to invest an idea and, and it just doesn't happen. People don't put money into an ideation. Uh, most, most typically, uh, often people won't invest money until you actually are making money. And so, you know, trying to switch that mindset into getting scrappy, getting creative. How do we launch something, you know, without any money in the bank and, and actually validate a product or validate a market. And I think just getting that understanding uh, with these earlier stage entrepreneurs can be challenging. And I'm sure that, that I was a challenge in, in my first company as well. So uh, that's kind of the long way to say, I think that, that the fundraising process really gets a lot of people caught up uh, sometimes to their detriment. All right. And that makes sense too, because um, I've been there, I think, and I'm still there just these terms alone, pitch deck, financial forecast model, some of the things that people aren't familiar that just get into it and say, okay, I have an idea, but does it make you money? Does it, you know, I watch Shark Tank and I'm always looking at like Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. He, he, he wants to only get it to one part. How much money is it going to make me, you know? And I, I look at most investors with his personification, right? They don't really want to go in all the, Hey, this is a wonderful idea. How much money is it going to make me? And for one, to be able to not think about just the money aspect, but filling a void, kind of like what you did with Sharewool, I think that is the, the optimal goal. You're feeling uh, um, a need. You feel a demand. And kind of tell, go back, we're going to go back a little bit to kind of your history and how you got to the point with Sharewool as far as the hospitality, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, I know that you, you started very early in hospitality and you worked your way up at the Allen Center at uh, Northwestern. Kind of talk, talk, talk to us about that. I know your mom worked there as well. So tell us about that and how that experience was and how it kind of shaped you to get you to where you are now. I, I love that. And for, first, what I want to do is I want to give credence to something that you did and just kind of share this with your audience, because this makes a big, big difference. You did a lot of diligence. I'd, I've done it, you know, probably more than 100 podcasts. I don't think I've ever had anyone that really took it, took it to that granular level of kind of the, the inception and, you know, to even know the name of, yeah, it was at the Kellogg Business School at Northwestern, but it was at the Allen Center. And it was, I was 16, so I had to have been 1994. Uh, and because we weren't taking money from the students, they paid tuition and that included food and beverage. I was able at 16 years old to serve alcohol because they weren't paying money for it. And in the state of Illinois, at least at that time, as long as you weren't taking money for alcohol, all you needed to do was have a worker's permit and, and you, were, you were good to do that. So I was actually bartending at the age of 16 and I was serving people that were there, you know, very, very prestigious 
uh, business program. Um, and, and they were, they were some of the leaders of some of the fortune 100 companies were, were coming there and at 16, you know, I would bartend and because I was young and had that energy, you know, they would kind of talk to me, um, and confide things in me. And, uh, it, it was just this really kind of cool entree, both into hospitality and service, but also into kind of the, the mind of the, the evolving business person and, you know, hearing about certain challenges that they were having and, and eavesdropping on some of their conversations way back then. And mind you, this is, you know, the internet was still very new at this point. You know, we had computer labs with, with dial-up modems in the, in the schools. Uh, and so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't this era where you can go on to YouTube or you can go on to Udemy or websites and just learn everything that you need to know. And so from that perspective, uh, it really taught me, A, how to be, you know, humble and listen, but also how to really, you know, that, that there, there is a process behind anything. And some of these people were running multi-billion dollar companies, yet they were still here you know, advancing their MBA or, or whatever it is, continued learning. And I think that really instilled upon me that you don't ever want to rest on your laurels. You know, just because you're a Fortune 100 company doesn't mean that your leadership can't still grow and evolve and be more productive leaders. And that, that kind of first job in the hospitality industry opened up doors for me to work in restaurants for nearly 20 years. But uh, I will say that probably every single day of my 20-year career in the restaurant industry, I had multiple problems revolving around scheduling. And if I, you know, when I was in management, I wouldn't hit my bonus because labor percentages are so difficult to, to hit on your PNL. And, you know, when I was waiting tables and bartending, you'd either make too much or too little money because there were either too many or too few workers there. And we're in a day and age where data can help forecast all of that. And software can help automate so many of these outdated processes by which companies can be more productive and profitable and people can make more money. And so that's kind of, after 20 years, I finally threw my hands up. I couldn't believe there wasn't a good scheduling platform that, that wasn't expensive, that, that offered things like training and hiring um, as kind of, you know, tangential offerings. And so I just, I had that, that, that optimist, uh, optimistic entrepreneurial mind where I just said, you know what, I can do this. And uh, without any background in coding, without a, a whole lot of money in the bank to, to put into the, the company, without that, you know, business acumen per se, I just jumped into the waters and figured it out as I went. And, uh, and now, now I'm, I'm fairly known for saying fail fast, fail forward. That absolutely epitomizes the way that we've grown Shedwell today is just learn as we go. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't wait for things to be perfect. Uh, I often say that, that perfection is the enemy of progress. But, you know, just really, really just getting out there and, and seeing, seeing what we can do and how we can do it. And I, I've been very fortunate uh, in that. Uh, a lot of the things that we've tried have ended up working out and those that didn't, you know, none of them at least so far have been detrimental to our growth. That is so awesome, man. Just hearing you say that makes me want to work with you now. And we'll talk about that after this, <laughs> after this deal. But uh, I, one thing that stood out to me in all of that was how, how that in, you were impressionable on when you were that young and growing up and getting to the point where you are now affecting your leadership and how does that make allow you to create the culture that you create at Sherwood and also the other 20 boards you sit on and try global. How does all that, um, that understanding of what you, you know, what you learned when you were younger help you create your leadership and the culture at your companies you have now? Yeah, I think, you know, with TIR global, we we're, we're consultants and we work with some of the bigger tech companies, but we're actually culture consultants. So we come in and we, we help them understand their culture and their brand positioning, how to leverage social media. And so, Culture really is something that's very near and dear to me, as is diversity and inclusion. And I think that growing up in Chicago, where I did on the north side in Evanston, and just kind of, you know, having friends from different backgrounds and seeing, 
you know, friends of mine have huge successes and have other friends of mine have, you know, major failures. But I think it's really just given me a perspective where I like to try to learn from other people's mistakes. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I'd love to just, you know, uh, mastermind and, and have all these opportunities where we can really leverage a collective consciousness. And I think, you know, like you said, from that early age, I think it really did impress upon me that, you know, anything can happen with the right, with the right roadmap, the right strategy and, and, and a little dash of dumb luck. And, uh, you know, now with all the boards that I sit on, it really is just a, it, it's a matter of finding things that I'm passionate about. One of my companies is replacing plastic. Uh, you know, one of my companies is, is a pro bono mentoring platform. We have global presence. It's, you know, it's it really, I think what, what's central to everything that I look to get involved with is, does it actually help people? Does it actually solve a problem? And if it's if anybody that's out there trying to make the world a better place, I'm here to help them and support that in any way that I can. Awesome. That is so awesome. Um, well, I think more and more are, are I guess, say you and I, we're kind of old millennials. I know I'm, I'm 30. I'll be 36 in two days. But um, I think that's what more and more generations behind us are going to do, right? Everybody wants to impact each other and look, look at the livelihood of the earth and feel that even though the old guard is kind of grasping onto the control of power as we see in media right now, but those things are going to dissipate in my opinion. But I think a great segue, uh, one of the questions that I want to ask to kind of be a little bit more um, diversity and inclusion, how do you feel technology has helped diversity and inclusion and how do you see it moving forward as far as the entrepreneurship goes, just kind of from Corey's perspective? Well, I'd say that the one the one thing more so than anything that, that I'm very grateful and cognizant of is that the Internet has, has really opened up the entire world. So, you know, I have connections from Asia and from Africa and from India and, you know, Australia. And it used to be that, that a, a U.S. entrepreneur was probably only, you know, maybe getting as far as the coast. So in Chicago, maybe you'd go out to New York or San Francisco, but that was kind of your frame of reference. And, you know, you, you might have some some Indian Americans or some African Americans that, that you would, you know, end up bringing on as teammates or investors, but you weren't really getting exposed to their culture, right? They were more so coming over here and becoming assimilated where now I literally, I, I have businesses that, that are, are headquartered in four countries right now. And I have partners from probably, probably somewhere around 10 countries right now. And just the, the difference that the different cultures bring and the different mindsets and mentalities. And, you know, you, even from, from a fiscal standpoint, the, the different investors and you know, what, what, what they value their currency at and, and what price points work in certain markets and all these things that can work together in unison and in harmony. And you start to see the, the global leaders uh, in any industry are really starting to leverage, uh, you know, that diversity and inclusion piece, whether it's, you know, bringing women into leadership or ownership or whether it's, you know, having a global headquarters that's not in the U.S. and you know, doing research and development on, on U.S. launches there and you know, just all these ways that you can really get ahead of the curve by leveraging the global community. And, you know, whether it's sourcing ingredients or, or, or products for a physical good or whether it's, you know, maintaining certain data privacies that, that, are, that are specific to certain parts of the country, I think the more that we kind of hold our companies and our leadership to the global standards really is making everyone step their game up. And I do think that diversity and inclusion is a big piece of that. I also just think that, you know, the, the companies that didn't have to innovate for 100 years that kind of, you know, were, were resting on their laurels and kind of this is the way we do things uh, and that's just how it is, they're having to either innovate or they're getting left behind. And I really, pardon, I really do see the power in 
in that, you know, kind of directly correlating to the internet and bringing us all together on, on one global stage. Wow. And, and we say it all the time on LinkedIn is the community is a family. And that's some of the, that's the way I feel when I see your videos or when I see, you know, value of 30, which something I wanted to touch on, like maybe people know about it. Maybe people don't. They, some people follow on LinkedIn. Maybe they don't. We'll give them a little insight on why you started value in 30. And just to look back at what you said, that's much power in everything that you said, as far as the global community and making sure that that's the gold standard of how we, um, to position and move forward, but I definitely want to go and to see what it, the value of thirty. How did that come about, and what how is that working for you? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I've only been active on LinkedIn for about a year, getting closer to a year and three months, I guess. Uh, but but I really just started taking it seriously about eight months ago, and you know, I probably only had a couple hundred followers and. As soon as I started really doing videos and producing daily content, I started seeing that go up pretty quickly. And I'd say in probably six months, I was up to somewhere around 20,000 followers on LinkedIn. And, and my posts are doing pretty well. And I do attribute much of that to video. But I had, and this is probably six months ago, I had a, kind of a, an actualization or a moment of realization. And it was, I don't have time to watch other people's videos on LinkedIn. So I wasn't doing it. There, there may have been one or two people I try to watch their videos when I could. Um, and, and that was very rare, uh, but there were hundreds of people that were very supportive that were all making videos and even people that I had encouraged to make their own videos. And I didn't ha have time to watch any of them. You know, I, I was working a hundred hours a week on, on shed wool and you know, I wasn't as involved in other things at, the, at that time, but you know, I, I just really didn't have the time to watch other people's videos. And so I felt really bad about it. And I almost just felt like a jerk. I'm like, if I'm not watching these people's videos, then, then why would I, put videos out there and expect them to watch it. And, you know, I was starting to get some decent engagement. And so, you know, I was watching my metrics. And if I put up a video, I was hoping and expecting it would get at least 100 likes. And, uh, you know, but I realized I was expecting everyone to engage with and watch my videos. And I wasn't doing the same thing for them. So I actually put out a video and I said, you know, I don't expect you to watch this video because I'm not watching yours. And I was very honest. I said, you know, I, I go on and I comment on all your videos. And I tell you, I love the video or, you know, I'll put some you know, a little, a little sentence or two about what I think it might be about, you know, to make it seem like I watched it so that I can give you that support. I say, but honestly, I just don't have the time. And for that reason, I'm going to stop making videos. I said, I'm sorry, it's not fair. You know, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of trying to usurp all of your time. I'm still here. I'll still post, but I'm not going to do any more videos uh, because, because I feel like it's a one-sided relationship and it's not fair to my, to my network. So I did that post and the post did really well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I kind of posted it in hopes that it wouldn't do well, right? But, but it, <laughs> right. It, it did incredibly well. It probably had 50,000 right. views and it probably had 500 likes. And, you know, that's... that's I've seen that one. I've <laughs> seen that one, actually. That's, that's more, uh, you know, I, I get that engagement again, but, but I was really, I, I was actively, I didn't want anybody to engage. I just wanted to explain myself. And so I stopped doing videos for a number of months and it was so humbling. I had probably, it feels like a thousand people and it must have been at least hundreds of people reaching out basically saying, Corey, are you okay? Why aren't you on LinkedIn? Why don't I not see your videos? I, you I seen that. I was <laughs> oh saying my. that. I asked, oh. I don't know if I asked where you were, but I said, good to see you back. I think yeah. I remember saying, so yeah. <laughs> and there were so many people and, and, and it was coming mostly by way of direct messages and, and it was getting buried and it got to the point where I realized that, that I wasn't doing people a favor by not putting the videos. People actually wanted to see them. And so I figured that the, the, the right thing to do would be to start to make some videos again. But then, 
to be very honest with you, uh, because of a hard of hearing and hearing impaired, I like to do closed captioning. And I was using this app called Clips and it kept kind of pooping out on the, the captioning anywhere from like 50 seconds to a minute and a half into these videos. And then you couldn't go back and edit it. And these videos were just done. And so that was a frustration and then trying to make the videos and then trying to maintain, you know, going through and commenting on everybody's comments and liking it all and, and all that uh, was really getting to be a bit much, but I knew I had to make videos because there was such a demand for them. So I kind of just had this epiphany. I said, what if I keep them really short and sweet? What if I try to keep them to 30 seconds? First of all, Nobody has an excuse not to, even me with no time, I've got 30 seconds. I've always got 30 seconds. So I said, right. this will make it easier. Now, if anybody wants to do these video and videos in 30 as well, then I'll watch all of them. Literally, there's, you couldn't, if a thousand people were doing these, it might become problematic. But right now I've got probably 50 people that do values in 30 and they don't do them every day. So I can go and spend a few minutes a day and catch up on all kinds of people that are kind of, you know, getting involved in this hashtag and movement even that, that I've helped create. And so I felt like that time commitment was right there in my wheelhouse, first and foremost. The second of all, I realized that clips had never stopped getting my, my, my closed captioning in 30 seconds. It always lasts at least 30 seconds. So I figured this is a great way to make sure that I can keep using this free app and capture my videos without having this frustration. So it was kind of, it was, it was, it was for several reasons, but, and so I just did one and that video did really well for me. I think, uh, you know, I don't remember the metrics on it, but I want to say it was something like like twenty or thirty thousand views and a couple hundred likes in the first hour. And that, wow. you know, yeah, it just it was explosive. And uh, that hashtag became trending on LinkedIn. And now I'm talking to some people at LinkedIn about them actually making a little sticker. Uh, you know, when you put a video on LinkedIn, it gives you the LinkedIn sanctioned uh, stickers that you can put on there. I want them to make a, a hashtag Valiant Thirty sticker that anybody can throw on their videos as well. And you know, it's really become. Uh, kind of this cool thing. I, I will say we've had several million views on, on the, on my value in 30 videos and probably, you know, more than that, even with everyone else's put, put together. But the, the one thing about these value in 30 videos is that they get shared very often and it feels amazing. They, they get shared probably anywhere from 10 to 50 times each video. And that's just hugely validating. It, it's really heartwarming, but I have to say, Carl, I think you have shared, I want to say, every single one of my value in 30 videos. And, and there have been some where you're the first person to share them. There are ones that don't get shared very often, but your name's always right on there. And it's, yeah. it's amazing. And to anyone listening to this podcast that wants to know how to kind of get on the influencer's radar, they just need to follow, a, 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 they need to take a, a page out of the book of Carl. That's the way you do it. You, you show us influencers some love. You, you, you share a post sometimes. You, you comment on them. You let us right. get to know you. And I guarantee... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm only, I'm, I'm small potatoes on the platform, but you know, even the people with the millions of followers, that's the way to get to them as well. And so you did a great job and you continue to, and, uh, you know, I really just want to kind of drill that into your audience as well. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for all the, you know, accolades earlier. I think a lot of this was for me is to be able to bring value to you as my guest, but also as on the platform specifically, I want to make sure, and I just took it serious too, like you, I, just about six months ago, I was the same way. Now I'm up to like 15, almost 12,000, 12, some small potatoes too, but I share a lot of the larger potatoes, you know <laughs> what I mean? Share all their stuff because, and then I actually engage with them and they really, and all of them like it, even like James, um, um, some Shay, Robottom, so all these big names, Sally, you know, all these big names, um, even, uh, um, what's his name? I can't even think of his name. Anyway, I, Oleg, I try to do Oleg, 
Oleg, Oleg, he likes my posts. So it's one of those things where, and I wish I could say his last name, Vishana Kanoff, but Vishnapolsky. Vishnapolsky. I hope Oleg don't hear that. But <laughs> it's just, I think a lot of it is I had to learn, uh, you know, just what, where, could, where was my place? I'm still learning my voice as far as on LinkedIn and the type of content that I want to put out because I have a business too. But I don't want to be that person to just, hey, this is what I do. This is what I do. I want to bring value to the people first and then you get to know me and then you can figure out what I do and I think that's what you kind of do too you don't you talk about Sherwood but it, it's not about Sherwood it's about the people you help and I can tell it's so genuine just in your voice like when and from you explaining what happened when you stopped doing those videos to to people reaching out to you till you get to the point you can hear in your voice right in this minute and when we're talking on this this podcast how your voice, the elation, and just the 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 frequency of your voice got because you you were kind of not emotional, but you felt it resonated with you. The fact that people wanted to hear from Corey Warfield and wanted to see where you were and actually needed to see you, <laughs> and that, it's like wow, this is it's that's the impact I think. But it's just that's what technology has, and I think that was a question that I had. But we kind of covered it already. So we got a perfect segue into one of the questions. Maybe not perfect segue, but it's kind of what I wanted to know how you feel about it. But what do you think about capitalism and how it's has it widened the gap of people who have and have not? Does capitalism need to be fixed? Um, obviously, you're a business mind. So am I. I love open markets. I love to be able to do business with people out outside of the United States. Um, but everybody doesn't have a capitalistic standpoint and i want to see what do you what's your view on it right now in 2019 and kind of what 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 what's the direction that we're going to go from a capitalism standpoint as it relates to entrepreneurship yeah well i'll, I'll say i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of sidestep a little bit of that um i'm not i'm not ridiculously bullish on capitalism and i'll, I'll probably leave that at that because we have a number of customers from a number of walks of life uh but what i will say is that I see the economy going global and I see blockchain and cryptocurrencies as being a replacement of fiat currency. And uh, I'm I'm involved in in two fintech companies in the blockchain and crypto space um, pretty integrally. And uh, one of them is actually launching a token that's gold backed. So it's a gold backed ICO. Um, You know, this is this is a token that will be used for real estate and a number of different, uh, you know, emerging industries. But I think that once once we go to replace the the kind of regional or or country specific currencies and we move to something that you know can kind of have a regulatory uh, but but not government regulated uh, price and that this, when you have things on the blockchain it's 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 verified so there's no inflating any numbers with vanity I mean it's it is what it is and I I think. I'm really, really, really bullish on blockchain and on crypto. And I think that we're going to see not only the global markets opening up and, and a lot more free trade kind of across any barriers, uh, but I also, I think you hit it on the head. This, this last kind of dying generation is really holding very tightly to capitalism. Uh, you know, and then I see a big push towards, you know, what, what a lot of people would even call socialism uh, from, from kind of the, the up and coming generation. Uh, but but somewhere right in between there, I think what we're really finding is that uh, you look at companies like Tom's Shoes, all these companies with kind of a, a give one model. A lot of people are looking at ways that they can actually have an impact and that they can actually have their successes be more than just personal successes to themselves, their companies or their countries. And so I'm really seeing a hybrid model. And I really do think that 
you know, the cryptocurrency being being an, a, a potential international currency. Uh, I do even see um, some of the blockchain applications going more towards something that'll look a little bit more like bartering. And, uh, you know, from, from my ideology and from my vantage, I'm really excited about that as well. So feel free to dig in a little bit more on anything. Um, but that's, you know, again, without getting too into to capitalism specifically, that's where I see some of these trends going. I think that's a great uh, sidestep, if, if you will. I think, um, especially when you, you know, you, you vetted into where you are. Um, I don't expect you to you not capitalism. I wouldn't either. I just wanted to just see your perspective on it. And as it's moved forward, because we heard that word get thrown around a little bit, but uh, I wanted to see kind of how Corey thought about it. But what you said, as far as the future, blockchain, some of the things, uh, the cryptocurrencies backed by gold, what I'm thinking in the back of my mind too, is like international monetary funds, it's centralization of how the money is ran, whether it be uh, the World Bank or uh, the European World Bank or ours here in the in the states. I think that's what you know. They're they're like upset at blockchain. You know what I mean? Like they don't want to see that become the prevailing currency method and mode. And I think some of that is just I think it's inevitable. And uh, to be honest with you, I think it's gonna we're gonna have a universal process and that some people think it's going to be chip something people think it's going to be some, it's going to be a digital form i don't know how that's going to work if it's an embedded chip but i, I like the way you said it and it's just one of those deals where the the, the people who got the old guard or don't want to see do you agree with that i mean you kind of said it already but do you agree with kind of the decentralization uh for as far as the monetary funds don't want to see block take over well i can i can tell you that i do think there's a lot of apprehension and, and there there is a lot of reluctancy but uh, i happen to know certain people that are you know they're they've got a couple of years on me but they, they've done some really you know impactful things in the financial space and the one that comes to mind uh he he currently serves and has for several years as the chief the, the chief technical officer uh and has also flirted as an interim with as a, the chief financial officer of Bank of America globally. Mm. And so they've got a trillion dollars under management. And, you know, this guy, he's got a house in, in the mountains in Colorado where my accelerator was. And, you know, the guy shows up in baggy jeans and a dirty flannel shirt. But um, his bonus that he makes quarterly is ridiculous. His, you know, under, under, man, under management personally, he has such vast amounts of, of, of monies and, he came and he talked to us about the future and he said in his mind, without any question, everything is going to the blockchain and that it's all, it's the only technology that he's bullish on. And that if he had to invest every penny of his and double down on something, it would be blockchain. And that was two years ago and he's still with the company. And I now see him posting some things sometimes about, you know, blockchain on social media as well. But for, for someone with his, his, his finger on the pulse of that much money and to be, on that global of a stage and in that type of a uh, position and to be that bullish on the technology uh, really is telling to me. So, you know, whether or not his bosses are 70 and whether they disagree with him or not, you know, they've trusted him to put him in the power and position that he is. And uh, that was kind of the first moment where I was like, wait, if this guy is saying that without question, we're, we're going blockchain, then I guess we're going blockchain. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Whether we like it or not. And I think uh, that, you know, that is going to be exciting. 
whether people know about it or not, it's like you're afraid of anything that you don't have any kind of any knowledge on. Fear just rises up. And I think that's what until people really get to see, regardless of you're in a position of that much assets under management, trillion of dollars, uh, how much money or you just trying to manage your little economy at home. Once you see how blockchain can benefit you, you probably will come around a little bit more. So let's pivot a little bit on that. Let's go to like um, a segment I like to call, what is something that people in the digital world may not know about you? Be as frank as you want. Uh, I know I know a few things, but I don't want to say them unless you, you know, put it out there. But I want you to tell people, uh, you know, one or two things that people may or may not know about you. Sure. Well, it's one of those things where sometimes I assume that everybody knows everything about me just because you know, <laughs> I get such exposure. I do so many of these shows. But so I, right. I, I assume that people, you know, know that that I'm a recording artist. Right. I, I like to freestyle rap. I think I assume people know that. I, you know, I, I assume that people kind of know that, that my journey over the, the years has had some some pretty substantial ups and downs. Uh, but I'd like to try to, to come up with something that people might not know. So let's see. In the digital space, what people might not know about me. I'm obsessed. You know, I don't know if I've ever talked about this one per- particularly. Um, and there are a few other concepts that I'm also intrigued by, like the simulation theory and the holographic universe theory. But I'm really obsessed with ancient civilizations and ancient cultures and my belief that, that humanity and, and even advanced uh, human technologies and, and societies you know, probably go back in my mind many tens of thousands of years and, you know, probably transcend the histories that we've been taught. And so things like the pyramids around the world and even the ley lines and, you know, just things like that I'm, I'm fascinated with. And I'm watching a show right now that Will Smith is the host of on, uh, on Netflix called One Strange Rock. And it's kind of just about the Earth from the perspective of 10 astronauts who have spent a collective thousand days in space. And we're looking at the Earth from, you know, that perspective and, you know, then kind of talking about the formation and how oxygen came to be and how the ozone, you know, regulates things that, that sustain life and just and anything to do with, with that. And particularly as it ties into kind of, you know, maybe past civilizations and cultures, I'm just absolutely geeking out over and loving and have been for years. Oh, man, I am the same, brother. I am the same. <laughs> We were we. I was watching. Uh, I can't remember the show, um, but it was uh, it was in the Sahara Desert in Africa, because uh, based on kind of like um, the Nubian and Egyptian coral, um, some two thousand years ago, or whatever. But the reality is, is it had so many, so much sophistication going on, and obviously infighting, just like we do have today. And I, I was like had popcorn and looking at it like I'm like looking at a, a, a you know live epic motion picture and I, I really love to see that history like you said I think it's just something about it that it connects us in a way in this past cerebral I want to say it even enacts and opens up our pineal gland when we think about it like the the, the serotonin that it gets you know uh, secreted when we look at stuff like that I think uh, the positive reaction when we see stuff like that. People who like you and I, I know I just, I, I love to see history. I love it. I always have, I always will. And I'm, I'm glad we share that. Now I'm like, now you, you like my brother of another mother now for <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Like not the fact that I used to rap too. And not much as I'm not a recording artist. So maybe one day you'll help me get there. But so we got a few things that we uh, share in that. Um, and I'll have to let you hear one of my freestyles one of these days. We might, we might even do a cypher like you 
and the guys did um, on LinkedIn, which was awesome. But that's good to hear, man. Uh, anything else that you want to share? I think that was golden, though, because people I don't think people know about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably about it, um, you know, at, at least for, for this one. Maybe we'll leave them on a little bit more. But the one thing I would say is that that, uh, that Global Cypher did really well. And uh, we're, we're actually planning another one, the four of us, for uh, June. Um, so for next month, I think they wanted to make it a somewhat regular thing. But I've had a lot of interest from a lot of other people. And I say that to say this. I've got my buddy Philip at Paychex out in Rochester. And uh, Paychex is now a partner of Shedwell. And they're, they're, they are the game changer for us. But Philip's been saying that he's got some, some, uh, some may, maybe, uh, maybe slightly weak, but, but some bars as well. And he was wanting to do something. So why don't you, me and Philip, look for a fork and we'll, we'll, do, uh, we'll do a spinoff. We'll do our own cipher for LinkedIn. Yeah, I'll I be I love to do it, man. I, I mean, I'm not shy. I, I don't do as many videos. I need to get get on that much. I'm a, more of a supporter. You know what I mean? You know, as well as I do. But yeah, I would love to get on there and spit a few bars for for the uh, for the cipher. It don't have to be the global cipher. And, that, and I don't what you guys get that beat from that beat was awesome. <laughs> it's kind of like the mix on Eminem's beat, but but on Dre's beat, too. It was like both of them at the same time. Well, interestingly enough, that actually is an Eminem beat also, which is kind of weak because it sounds so much like his other ones. But uh, it's a song I hadn't heard. I actually don't listen to a lot of Eminem. Um, but yeah, it was an Eminem beat. So I assume that Dre did produce it. Uh, but we'll, right. we'll come with something a little a little bit different uh, than people are used to maybe for ours. And then you had mentioned we were talking influencers earlier. You had mentioned Shay Robottom. She's uh, first of all, she's killing it. She's had Gary Vaynerchuk and, uh, you know, uh, Grant, Grant Cardone, like all these big names are engaging with her stuff lately. But she's a friend and she had mentioned uh, to me that she wanted to do a little maybe a little sing songy thing. Um, so maybe we'll have her as the fourth. Maybe we'll get a female vocalist and Shay Robottom. And then you, me, and Phil will do something, and uh, and we'll we'll, we'll we'll put it under the elevated media umbrella. There you go. Hey, I love it, man. And you know, I really appreciate that balling. But um, diversification and inclusion, one on one, right there. You know, <laughs> um, the way you thinking about, it, you're very earnest when you really mean that. So as you grow and as you get to the point that where you want to go, I think the perfect segue is: what are you your five year plan? What is your five year plan? How do you see? share will go and how do you see that going to a different level or are you content with where you are well so candidly we're we're in we're in early talks but we are in talks uh with paychecks specifically uh, as an acquisition target so they'll be looking to purchase a scheduling company you know very similar if not exactly what we do and uh, so they've given us kind of some criteria they they need to see some some pretty explosive growth um as far as revenue and you know, they've, they've given us some metrics that they're going to be tracking, but we are their preferred scheduling partner. Uh, they, they have companies that use them for their payroll that, you know, they're, they're, they're double digit a year, million dollar uh, clients for us. And I would imagine that within the next five years, we will be bought by paychecks. And, you know, the, the number is somewhat staggering. Um, so, you know, from there, what I'll probably be doing is either focusing on the other companies I'm involved with or, you know, I'm sure... Uh, at some point, my wife's going to want me to take a little bit of time off from from the whole entrepreneurial world. So maybe I'll, you know, find find a way to take a couple months uh, off. But you know, I think it's now in my blood and my DNA. I love love to build companies and help people build companies. So you know, I'm sure in five years I'll be, you know, doing what I'm doing today to a degree. But I would I'd be surprised if we haven't sold Shedwell by then. Mm. Was well, that the ultimate goal? Is to get it up running, get it great, and then you know, sell it. 
Yeah, you know that was that was never specifically the goal from inception. I you know I didn't I didn't know better either way. I just wanted to start a company uh, because I thought that it was needed in the industry, and uh, I knew that there wasn't anything uh, exactly like what I was doing. And, and candidly, I did know that it could be could be lucrative, but you know I never had an exit strategy in mind when I started the company. But it's become more apparent, and I think. Once we started these talks with paychecks, once we realized that they're looking to buy a company in the space, I think that's when I really realized, like, wait, this this could happen, and this could happen sooner than later. Mm, mm. So there's no disclaimers that you need to say for for that without out before that comes to fruition. That way you don't get in trouble or anything, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Thank you for that. That's because that's probably something that everybody don't know. So you heard it first here on the Grind 1.0, all about entrepreneurship. Um, so, with that being said, and you mentioned your family and your wife. Or do you have any kids? I didn't go that far. I didn't want to go that far. I just wanted to go in business. But do you have any kids? So it's uh, and your I apologize to your audience. I might come in and out because I'm leaving my. That was perfect timing, Carl, because. Uh, I couldn't answer that question a moment ago because my wife was right there and she, she knows that that's a little bit of a point of contention. Um, we do not have kids and you know, she, she's quite a bit younger than myself. Um, so it used to be, and apologies, I got to, I mean, um, but you know, she, no she was 10 years younger than myself. So when we got together, I was in my early thirties, she was in her early twenties. And, you know, she knew I wanted kids really badly, but, uh, you know, she kind of said she was too young and, you know, we'll talk about it later. And now flash forward 10 years, it's, it's been a point of contention. We've got two big dogs and, uh, you know, so that's cool. And, and we're best friends. And so that's cool. But it's to the point where I want kids so bad. I've got names picked out. And, uh, if, you know, we've even to, to kind of show the underbelly of entrepreneurship to your audience, uh, you know, it's. Uh, starting companies and, and entrepreneurship can be rough on relationships anyway. And then you put something in like, you know, wanting to have kids and not. Uh, so, so I've actually told, told my wife that I'll probably be, you know, having kids somehow or another and she, she, <laughs> she, she can be part of that or not. But yeah, it, it means a whole lot to me. It's, and I'll adopt children right. and I help with orphanages and, you know, it's, I, I, I don't only have a heart for my by any means or any stretch of the imagination and you know i think she's always wanted to adopt and i've always told her that, that, that that's not off the table uh but i really do you know i really do want to have ideally about 50 kids and at the very least at least a couple of them so <laughs> <laughs> 50. no man it's so funny you say that because i was the same way with my wife but you know i really had to learn about when well, i just got married last year in september and she doesn't want kids and I've come to accept that. But I was like, I'm like, I was like you. And I think what made me accept it is because the, the, the trauma that she went through when she grew up and how, how her mom was with her. It was, it was like a controlling aspect without going into too much of information about my wife and her mom's relationship, but just, you know, she just didn't, she just, she's get really, she's afraid about what could happen. You know what I mean? As far as the birthing process, the whole nine, having the responsibility of a kid. Heck, we kept two dogs and we really, we both could, I have a daughter already, right? She's 11. My daughter's 11 right now. So I've, I got a child. I wanted more kids with my wife, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I'm okay with that. I've got to the place where I'm okay with that. And God bless me. 
Like so, I'm I know that I'm okay with it now. But when we first got together, I was like, Nah, we we gotta have another kid. I want a son. You know, somebody to keep up my name. You know what I mean? But I think if it is meant to be, it will f- come to fruition. And I'm not above adopting either when that time comes around. Because there's so many, like you said, man, there's so many kids out there. I mean, maybe you didn't say it, but it's, you went above outside of your flesh and blood. But there's so many children that need a need a somebody to believe in them and somebody to love them that. Maybe not their flesh and blood, but somebody to still love them. I think that's very important because if you have the resources to do so and you have the heart and the motion and the time, you got you to gotta do it, right? You got to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then there's one thing that, that you may I, – I may have misinterpreted, but if not, uh, something that I think I just heard you touch on and whether or not you did, I'm going to go here for a minute. One thing that I, one thing that I realized uh, very recently is that, you know, it's I, – I don't – I don't judge or, you know, I don't, I don't care what anyone's religion is per se, but I love anyone who loves God. And I have a very strong relationship with Jesus. And I realized that until Man. very, very, very recently, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about that. And, you know, I think in my mind, I didn't want to maybe ostracize anybody if they might be, you know, Muslim or Buddhist or, or atheist. And, you know, all money is green money. And uh, I think I had this kind of preconceived notion that, you know, you, you don't mix business and politics uh, and, and you certainly don't don't mix religion in there. And so I, I just kind of, you know, if anybody wanted to talk about God, you know, we could have that talk. But I'm really trying to step more out into, you know, with, with a with a loving, nonjudgmental heart and without preaching and telling anybody they need to call God by the same name that I do. I really want to start stepping much more boldly into my faith and letting people know that I, you know, I personally have a relationship with uh, what I consider to be the son of God that died for our sins and is my salvation. And I really, you know, these things really do matter to me. And so to, to hide that from my ethos or my personal brand or my company or my culture, I think is doing a disservice. And so I'm stepping out into that boldly and that's, you know, we'll see. I, I have investors and people on my board that, that do not have that type of faith uh, and, you know, we'll see, um, you know, the, the bigger my company gets, we may or may not have to raise a big round of money, but we'll see if someone puts $10 million in the company and says, by the way, you know, you need to stop the Jesus stuff on LinkedIn. And you know, that, that, might, that might be a really easy conversation because I might get to say, well, you know what? God bless you in the name of Jesus. Keep your $10 million, you know. Right, right. No, no doubt. And, you know, and I, and I may not be the one to be like, hey, you know, G- Jesus is watching you on LinkedIn or any social media platform. But it's, I'm a very strong believer. You know, man, I got to tell you, it was some moments when I when I grew up when me, my mom and two sisters was praying. We hadn't eaten in two days. Right. Like it's, it's tough. It was tough growing up. And the only thing we did was pray. And he he made a way. So I not only did I, and it was moments where I should have been in a lot more trouble than I than I actually got into. Mm. Only thing that saved me was God, right? So I and I've seen people even get killed. Like only thing that saved me was God. I came up in Little Rock, Arkansas, where like we was we were second when it comes to banging and uh, drugs. And and of course, you know, I know Chicago. And you're on the north side, but of course, the south side. It kind of you know you've seen some of that. So when it came to like Compton and, and California, Little Rock was as as known as California was for 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 gang violence. Oh yeah. So that's what I came up in. So 
only thing that saved me was God. So, and I understand that my mom, she was very religious and uh, she took me and my, my, my sisters back and forth to church. We used to walk in the rain when it was church, <laughs> when, you know, we went into the church. Never, we weren't Baptist, but, you know, we're a church of Christ, you know, non-denominational. And I am very, very serious about that. I'm glad you stepping out into that, even on this particular platform, because we talk about entrepreneurship. But you can't really talk about entrepreneurship if you don't have faith in what you're doing, because a lot of times you're not even going to see your future. You're going to have to have faith to believe whatever you're doing is going to work. You know what I mean? Like you don't know how it's going to work. You got to have this insurmountable faith. And we read all these great and, and, and quotes, but the reality is the biggest quote is having faith in Jesus that you're going to be able to, you know, he's going to bless you to be successful to, from where you, your inception to where you are now. And I, I don't think that's any coincidence that you are successful because you do have that strong faith. And I say that people that don't have faith aren't successful, but I'm on the side, I err to the side of people that do have faith without seeing the things to, you know, to, to be able to, you know, go through the tough times because there will be tough times. Absolutely. And I think in the same breath, one thing that I also want to give credence to is that I, I think when a lot of people hear you begin to talk about Jesus or Christianity, and first of all, Jesus wasn't Christian, right? Um, but I think when, when you start to talk about Jesus, it does turn certain people away. And I think that that's because of what I perceive in modern day religion being a lot of condemnation and a lot of judgment. And, you know, for me, when I talk about diversity and inclusion, there's no limitation or asterisk, right? There's no, right, there's right. no except. So it's for me, I, I'll include you if you're homosexual, if you're purple, if you're, you know, if, if you think you were uh, born the wrong gender, I don't care. It's not, uh, you know, I have God in me, but I am not God. And, and thank God I don't have to judge these people. Uh, and I and even right. saying these people might I I don't even mean that these people are are we people right I mean we're all one one people one we're all, one. yeah yeah <laughs> I know where you're coming from uh, and so I I think when these churches tell you that you can't do this that or the third <laughs> and you know right. if some if someone loves God and, and loves people because God so loved the world you know or and it doesn't matter if you're if you're quoting that from from the Gospel of John or or if that's something that was impressed upon your heart but. You know, for me, I do think that that's one of my opportunities with being an entrepreneur with visibility and an audience that is faith-based and does specifically ascribe to the teachings of Jesus uh, or Yeshua, as, you know, the, the, the actual history may say. And I'm the guy as well where I will, I will pull out my Bible and show you how I can prove that Jesus was black, you know. And, um, yeah. you know, it's, I, I feel like so many churches are preaching this, this message that, is not consistent with what's in my Bible and or specifically in the King James Bible. Or so I, I do think that there's this, there's this kind of stigma attached with, especially being an entrepreneur that's faith-based. So I think for me, it's, if I'm out there and telling people, you know, that I'm blessed by God and that I wish God's blessings upon others. And to me, I love Ziggy Marley's song, love is my religion. And, you know, Mm, I think yeah, as, that's a great one. As long as people understand that I might be a Christian CEO, but I also have love for Muhammad and for, you know, Krishna and for the, 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 those homosexuals down that way. And, and for these people, you know, it's it's not there's no exclusion in inclusion. And, you know, when, when I say that right. God loves me and, and you and everyone, it's not conditional in my in my you know, in my ideology and theology and things of that nature. So I think I really 
I'm excited about boldly stepping out into this, but I feel like I need to really be mindful that I'm not, you know, coming across wrong, uh, even if my intentions are to come across right. <laughs> well, and I don't think you are. And I think what, what, here's the deal. We're in the moment right now as a precipice kind of as a society. People want to be see authenticity, whether it's the Trumpism, whether it's who you are. I mean, people want to see you be yourself. They don't care. You know, they really don't. And if that's who you are, be that. People are going to gravitate. Those people that want to be around you going to gravitate. And those that don't, won't, right? You're going you're gonna to get a tribe. You're going to get, a, you know, a, a co-following behind that, whatever that message and their rhetoric is. And the authenticity, if you can't say that and then not be it, right? Like, that's gestures that don't add up. <laughs> And with that being said, like, I know that you said you moved back to Chicago when your grandfather got sick. Did you find your religion then or what point did you find your religion or how did that, you know, manifest itself? Because since we're on the subject, we might as well kind of give a little history because we got about nine minutes before this awesome, awesome conversation <laughs> is up. And I, I hope it, you know, goes on after this because I love to, you know, get to know you more and actually you become one of somebody that I can look to, but go ahead and answer that. And if you can, uh, you know, yeah. So, you know, uh, one thing earlier, I, I mentioned kind of some ups and downs, uh, 20 years ago, I was homeless on the streets for over a year and, you know, sleeping in parks and under bridges and not eating for days and you know, eating in soup kitchens. And so having been at rock bottom and, you know, candidly getting, getting off of that rock bottom, uh, has been really transformative, but, I first kind of found God in and out of jails on my way to prison uh, about 20 years ago. And, you know, so many people do. And I think, you know, there is a subset of religious people where they love that you're on fire for God until they hear that it was a prison conversion. And then they're like, oh, but, um, you know, it stuck with me 20 years later. I've never been in trouble again. Uh, you know, I've, I've never, never abandoned my faith. Uh, although, you know, I, I'm realizing I, I could have been evangelizing more and more, especially these last four years. And so I almost feel like that fire is just about to become a forest fire. Like, I, I don't want it to be quelled at all to any, any, any degree uh, at all. But um, it, was, it was in the jail in Oregon, and literally the Bible opened for me. There was a man in there. His paperwork said he was in there for no reason. He was an inmate. Um, and he brought me a Bible, knew my name, told me to open it and believe the first thing I read. Literal Bible opened in my hands. I didn't open it. And I only saw one scripture, and it was uh, Revelations 2.10 says, Some of you shall be tried and, uh, and thrown in jail for 10 days. Be of good faith uh, and, and have faith in God. Or be, be of good courage and have faith in God, and you shall be delivered. And don't you know, Carl, uh, because the guy was in there for no reason, handed me the Bible, knew my name, and opened in my hands. That's all I saw. I had, there was nothing I could do other than to believe that. And so listen, <laughs> I, I'm not... You know, it was my first real religious moment. I was probably 19 years old and said, you know, this, this really feels divine. And sure enough, I was looking at, I don't want to go into it, but many, many decades uh, is, is what I would have been incarcerated for. And uh, quite literally, that happened to be my second day in there. Eight days later, they came, they let me out. Um, it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And kind of ever since that moment, and I've had more experiences, but it was at that moment for, for me personally and on my journey, I was there. I experienced it. There's literally no way anyone can convince me that that didn't happen. And once you have had something like that happen, it becomes undeniable. But 
I do want to be very careful in saying I don't think that, you know, I was very apprehensive and, and maybe I needed that. But, you know, they do say uh, in, the, in the churches and in the scriptures, it says, you know, faith is evidence of things unseen. So I would encourage people to not wait until they have, you know, an experience that, that transcends, you know, what seems to be possible like that uh, yeah. before really coming around. But that was really my catalyst. And, and again, it was about 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, my, my life's never been the same since. Wow. That's a testimony, man. I mean, the only way that that could have happened is if God had something. He has a plan for you. The reason we're talking right now, you know, I do. I pray every day. And, you know, I, my thing is I always say I believe God will bring the right people in my life to help me spiritually, mentally, physically and emotionally. And I think um, this is just one episode of him doing that. And I'm so thankful for having the opportunity to talk to you today, not only just from an entrepreneurship and learning from you. I, I, I mean, I got three pages of notes here because I, I like to take notes when I'm talking to my guests because I can really get in and see what they what they what they how their trajectory has gone from when they started to now and it really is amazing your story man just to know that you've been homeless before you've been faced certain just you know issues as far as incarceration and so have, so have i you know and i've gotten in trouble recently with a dui you know and that's just part of life and I, to find ourselves in those moments and i always say is the road less traveled is where you grow the most. So to hear you say that and somebody that's on top of their game now, it means a lot to me because I can I can look at that and use it and help myself as a, you know, use it as a stepping stone to get to the next level. With that being said, we got about four minutes left. I guess my last question is, what kind of advice would you give someone who's just starting out in entrepreneurship and our pardon shots? Yeah, so for, for me, the only advice that, that I can give is a blanket statement to absolutely everyone is to just start. You know, it's don't, don't wait. Don't, don't wait until you read a book. Don't wait until you meet a co-founder. Don't wait until you raise, a, you know, an investment. Uh, don't wait for anything um, because as much time as it takes to try to prepare yourself to get started, you could have already started and been making progress that whole time. And, uh, you know, I, I think it sounds relatively simple until you know you actually are honest with yourself and i think if most people really were being honest with themselves they, they would admit that they don't do that people people wait for something we always have that excuse if i just had you know a little bit more money if i just had a a cushion if i didn't have to you know worry about rent for the next year if, if i just had enough money to make a prototype you know and i would really encourage people to to break free of that mindset that's that's not what it's about. It's not about waiting. That's an excuse, and that's the devil's work. It's really about making it happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Having that faith, really, at the end of the day, is like you step out on faith, God will he'll help you. And I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that's I think that's the truth. That's what I live my life by, and I know, obviously, you live your life by that. Um, where, where can people find you as far as if, if they want to, you know, you know, follow Corey. Are you on? I know you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. What, what's your handles? That way, people can know what, what the website is for Sherwood or Tri Global. How do they how do they get in touch with Corey Warfield? Yeah. So Shedwell, and some people don't get it until it's explained. Shedwell's a plan. The word schedule. Um. So it's S H E D W O O L. Uh, Shedwell.com is the website. We're, we're discoverable 
uh, on all the app stores. You could you should just be able to type in scheduling, or or if you type in scheduling, we come right up. Uh, and then I'm yeah I'm active on all the platforms. So my name's Corey Warfield, C O R Y, W A R F I E L D. You can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, connect on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm trying to get more uh, more active on Pinterest and. I was just getting ready to try to, to give Google Plus another shot, and then they yanked that one. Um, but but <laughs> I know, yeah, right? <laughs> if anybody's looking for me online and can't find me, then then, then that's my bad, and I'll, I'll I'll be in the process of fixing that because I really I seek to be somewhat ubiquitous online. I like to be really discoverable, uh, really easy to to contact, and so you know I'm here for anybody in any capacity that I can be. Awesome, man! That's so awesome. Well. Corey Warfield, man, it was such a pleasure and honor to talk to you today. Uh, thank you for your, your wisdom, what you bring to the world. We need more people like you. Uh, just, just straight up honesty about your history. I learned a lot about you today. Is there anything else that you want to add to this awesome conversation that we just had? Uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, we're down to the last few seconds, so I, I would, and I'm not just saying this, I would literally tell anyone that's looking to get more active in business to get active on LinkedIn and anybody that wants to get active on LinkedIn uh, to do what you're doing. They should literally go follow and connect with Carl Dunn and just look at how you're doing, promoting other people, engaging with other people, you know, uh, bring, bringing value uh, every day in every way. And uh, if people, people model their activity after the way you engage, they're going to be in great shape. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to be reconnecting with you for sure. You have a great, great weekend, brother, and have a great Memorial Day holiday. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Corey, for coming on to the Grind 1.0. You're very- Such a pleasure. Bless you, my brother. Bless, bless, bless you. you as well. And to everyone listening to this as well, God bless everyone. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, brother. Likewise. Take care.